0: All you had to do was sit. Okay, let's open up with the word of prayer. Lord, please have the preaching be sound, praises be numerous, and praying be earnest. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Okay, so I have a story to tell. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to start reading with verse 11, but I'll explain what happened up until that point. So we have four or five kings who are ruling over not just Sodom and Gomorrah at this time, but those are the two that get brought forward because they rebelled against these foreign. Five kings, kings of Persia and Babylon, or a couple of them. And wicked, we have wicked nations warring with wicked nations. Hardly a surprise. And starting in verse 11, and they took all of the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their food and went their way. So, these five kings, nations, were going to set example of not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but all of the nations surrounding them. And they just went conquering, left and right. They conquered... Um, one of the last ones they conquered were the Amorites, were were the nation of the giants anyway. So, this was not some puny little city army thing. They were victors. They were conquerors. And they had just done... Pillaging everything. And in verse 12, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods. Everyone likes a good hero story, and it always has to start with an offense being made. In this case, Abram's nephew was taken, along with all of his goods. And you can picture how this went down. This is a movie story to no end. You have cities and towers burning in the background. You've got people crying and wailing as they're being drugged from their homes. And they're being captured and taken off to be servants. This isn't a romanticized war, though. It isn't that dramatic. It isn't that pretty. Everyone who resisted was killed. Everyone who looks like they could resist in the future was killed. All of your goods were taken, and then the last thing that was taken was the people. And that's only if you were useful. There's nothing glamorous about this. And this is what Lot was a part of. He was taken. And, of course, in verse 13... And there came one that had escaped. Of course, this would have been one that was a part of Sodom and Gomorrah or the neighboring countries. This would have been a, probably a wicked individual in many things. But, when you are in need of help, if you are in need of rescue, you always turn to a good person, to a righteous person, because they will help you. They will provide aid. And this is what we have in, in verse 13. We have this individual running to safety, running for refuge. The, we, as we read later on, it says, um, told Abram the Hebrew, He dwelt in the plains of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eschol, and the brother of Amr, and these were allies with Abram. So, Abram was surrounded by people that weren't necessarily the best of people. I mean, these, these were Amorites. These were these were people who were known for some very strange idolatry, very strange religions. But we see them being allies with Abram. So we know Abram wasn't just simply a righteous person. He was also kind to those around him. And as we see later on, these three, these allies of his, actually go with him. But here we have Abram identified as Hebrew, which is trying to portray he was not just a religious person, but he was a part of the true religion at that time. And Abram no doubt was aware of Persia and Babylon and all of the other kingdoms that were conquered along with Sodom and Gomorrah. But this one escapee goes to Abram and asks for help. And in verse 14, or no, real quick, and Lot was living in Sodom. All that can be really said is that just because you're a righteous person doesn't mean it buys you a pass from the wickedness in this life. Because... If it did, I mean, a lot would have been left at his home in Sodom with all of his stuff. And he threw his lot in with Sodom, so to speak. And he got to reap what was being sowed around him. And only advice I have to say is it would appear prudent to have separated yourself from Sodom. And we know that he was Abram's nephew, so... He had a place to stay. He chose to do this. Don't know why, but he made his peace with it, and that was it. So we move into verse 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Now you can cue the theatrical music because you can see this. You can see Abram doing this. You can see Abram gathering his servants together. You can see him stoking the forge, fires rolling, weapons being made, armor being made, and them heading out. That's just the way movies are. And what what's going on behind the scenes is Abram is doing this with 318 men. I don't how could Abram possibly have believed anything good was going to come from this? I, I don't it makes no sense. What's even more strange is that it says that he armed his trained servants that were born in his house. What could his servants have possibly thought was going to happen? I, I don't I don't get that. Because when a lion comes to claim the lamb, the hired hand runs and and that that's it. They run. They looked at Abram said, you're off your nut and left. That's not what we have. We have 318 servants that were born into his house. And I suspect that was put in there to indicate the loyalty that these servants had. These servants knew only of Abram, only of his life, his character. And these 318 servants were with him to the end at this point. And you can bet that his servants also saw the masters around them and the slaves that they owned and observed how they acted. And when you taste of something good, there's no going back. You don't want something else. Because if they were to run off it would have been far worse for them had they lived, rather than just dying with their master. And that's what we have. We have trained servants. This also shows that Abram knew something of strategy, something of war. These weren't house cleaners who were given a sword and said, let's do this. These were... were People who weren't just raised in the right religion. They were also trained in all things alike, probably. I mean, this is the first war we have recorded in Scripture. This is the first time we see any such a thing, even though it probably happened. This is it. So Abram must have been really wise to see what was coming. Also, his neighbors weren't exactly the best of folk. So he was prepared in some way and therefore his servants were. And in verse 15, he, Abram, divided himself against the enemies, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Haba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Here, here, Here we have him fighting by night, dividing his armies, and attacking them. One commentary said that he pursued them for 150 miles, attacking them by night, on and off, and he ran them another 50 miles after defeating them. He he completely run them off. And I was trying to find some sort of... Some sort of comparison, because I mean that, that's 200 miles. I mean you're pushing them all the way to St. Louis by foot. I mean this isn't this isn't like that you just pushed them to a town that was 20, 30 miles away and got them holed up in their city and they're scared of you. Abram went out to beat these enemies to get his nephew back. The scriptures. Do not mention that he suffered any losses. I'm not saying he didn't suffer them. I'm saying that Scripture doesn't go out of its way to say he suffered heavy losses. And I believe there's a strong emphasis on that. Because you, when you set off to do something righteous, the cost isn't an issue. When you are doing what's right, regardless of what happens, what it costs you isn't worth. And so he, Abram, brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and the women also and all of the people that were taken. So later on in Genesis chapter 15 we have Abram discouraged that he has no heir, that he has no son beneath him to take and to receive all that Abram had done, all that Abram had provided for, had kept. And I don't want to presume too much, but If he didn't have an heir in chapter 15, he didn't have an heir in chapter 14. And he was told by a wicked person that now even his nephew has been taken from him. The the motivation, the drive that Abram had, it was right. His his family, everything was being taken from him at this point to a degree. And at least something he valued much more than his own life and his servants and his goods. So here we have Abram rescuing not just his brother now, but also everything else that was taken. (laughs) Abram only set out to find his nephew. And... He very well could have just taken his nephew. I'd be willing to bet, standing at the gate, so to speak, he said, I'm only here for my nephew. Nobody wants war, nobody wants to fight. One person, that would have been probably an easy deal for anyone to make. But that isn't what happened. Abram fought for this wicked people and his nephew. And he was victorious, he brought it all home. And in verse and in verse seventeen, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of the Chowr Lamar, yeah, I'm not I was going to say clam chowder but you know. <laughs> and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shevi, which is the king's dale, so we do have this wicked nation kind of coming out to greet him like a king. I mean, Abram wasn't a king. He was, he was just Abram, the Hebrew, living out of his tents back home. In verse 18, we have Melchizedek, king of Salem, bringing bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. Now, if somebody just came back with all of my goods, with all of my people, I would have liked to have thought that I was the one rolling out the feast, rolling out the good, tablecloths, rolling out the red carpet. I, I really would have thought that Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings that lost, the tribes of the territory that lost, they probably should have been the first in line bowing down. But all we have them is them going to him. And it's It's odd that we move straight into Melchizedek, king of Salem, bringing forth the bread and the wine, the refreshments, the food and drink. Priest of the Most High God. In verse 19, he blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be, Abram, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, who has delivered your enemies into your hands, and he gave him ties of all? Well, maybe I'm not so surprised that Sodom and Gomorrah didn't do this, because they wouldn't have done it right anyway. They would have celebrated Abram. They would have said, "What a mighty man!" They, they would have. And here we have Melchizedek. Making sure everything stays straight. Blessed be the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Bless Abram. And bless God who delivered the enemies into his hands. That's exactly right. The Most High God, being of the Most High God, Abram, of the Most High God. Melchizedek didn't just pronounce him as blessed, he was also blessing Abram as blessed. If, after this victorious thing, you he, he, he really wouldn't think Abram would need it at this point. You kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. And that's not the way it is. That's not how it works. Abram was a tool, a righteous tool, doing what was right. And that's worth celebrating. And God the Father blessing Abram, that's that's where it lies. That's what we should all celebrate. In verse twenty one, the king of Sodom says unto Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods. Oh the audacity. It is so rich. Because that, that isn't how it works. If you're conquered by someone, you're their servants. You're their captives. If somebody conquers them, then by default, that means they're now their captives. And yet, the king of Sodom <laughs> bravely says, "Give me my people. I don't need the goods, though." That—that's exactly the way the world works. Because I only have power if the people beneath me are there. So we can see exactly where the king of Sodom's heart was. He didn't need the goods. Why would he? Power isn't in the riches, really. It's in the people. And they must have been rich in people. So, even further, showing that Sodom was wicked. was not just wicked, but audastically wicked to not even submit... To Abram, who did what no one else could do, Sodom and Gomorrah fought to the bitter end and lost. He didn't even give up. He didn't surrender. He didn't say no, no, no. I don't want you to kill any more of my people. I mean, they, they flat out fought. They they lost. And Abram comes back with 318 people. I can't imagine this scenario. Melchizedek blessing Abram, blessing the Most High God, praising God. And then the king of Sodom saying, Hey, yeah, about that. I want my people. I do not know how he escaped there alive. Because he's got 318 of his servants who fought through the bitter end. He's got three allies with him that went to war with him because they probably figured they were next on the chopping block if they didn't ally with somebody good. And they, they were there when all of this was going down. And Abram perfectly says, I will not take a thread even to my shoelace and I won't take anything that's yours lest you say you made me rich. The only thing I ask for is that what the young men have eaten and the portion that the men who went with me have eaten. That's all I want. Which ultimately he's just saying, he's only going to take what they've already taken. He's not taking anything more. He's not taking anything from this man. That was perfect. Because that's exactly what righteousness does when you're right. You don't go seeking for someone else's work. And you know that the money and the goods that He rescued... He, he, he definitely didn't work for it and it wasn't made in a righteous way and if anything the wealth should have went back to the people which that probably isn't how it went down but no, nope, Abram said nope, nope, nope I don't want anything from you I don't want to be associated with you I want nothing unless one day you come back saying I, hey, hey, I did this for you now help me out again This is a Hollywood movie made through. You've got your hero arming himself, going against an overwhelming enemy. You have him chasing him all through the desert, fighting day and night, pushing him, driving back, running them off. Great, great nations. Great, great warriors. Just, nope. They're nothing. And then you have him rescuing his nephew, calling him his brother at this point. Because that's that's what you do. I, I did a quick word study just because I was curious. Captive and conquered share a same word. Redeemed and relative share a same word also. And it's... it's a great story because everyone comes home, everyone celebrates and then the unjust kind of get put in their place get told what's right, get shown what's right, get shown what you can do when you're right this this is how the church is in this world and age today. The church faces insurmountable odds and in the duties that it has. And there there's a there's a good reason why I talk about putting on the spiritual armor because Christianity God it doesn't breed cowards that runs off in the middle of the night to live another day. It it breeds heroes. The the church is not a captive and conquered. The church was a redeemed relative. We we cast our lot in with wicked people on this world in this wicked ways, wicked things. That's that's where we cast our lot. And we are to a degree conquered. But that that isn't how the story goes. The story ends with us being redeemed. That the righteous came and fought for us. And that is why we come to church to celebrate the victory, to, to praise the victor. That is what we are doing in church. We have a Most High God possessor of heaven and earth. We have a priest and king that blesses us. We are rescued. Lord, thank You for this pretty day. Lord, Your your works should ever be proclaimed. All too often are we, and do we fancy, fictitious things, things that never happened, things that look pretty. We always take to what feels good to man. And we invest in those things thinking that they bring us our hope, our happiness. And only do, when those things are, are taken from us, worthless things taken from us, do we realize that it was never those things that mattered, and that we were wrong. Please have us remember that we are redeemed, we are rescued, we are relatives, so to speak, being adopted. Please, Lord, give the church strength and perseverance to do what is right without weighing the cost. In your name we pray. Amen.